Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. I invite you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews, where you could rate and review what you think of today's episode, because we have an amazing guest today. His name is Adam Kaufman. He is the president and CEO at Canary Health. He's got a really long track record of success, but at Canary Health, they are the leading provider of digital health self-management programs, which includes a CDC-approved online diabetes prevention program, a chronic disease self-management program, and an exclusive partnership with Stanford University's Patient Education Center. They're doing some really interesting things to help improve outcomes, and that is why we wanted to have Adam on the show. So Adam, please fill in any of the gaps in that intro, and welcome to the podcast. Sure. Well, Saul, thank you. It's a real pleasure to, to, to speak with you and uh, share the insights that we have. I think the only thing I'd, I'd add to that is, uh, by way of background, I'm a, a health economist by training uh, and oh, worked nice. in applied statistics. So I'm actually, uh, you know, I, I realized later it wasn't a term when I was in grad school. I'm a data scientist. And so it's been interesting to see the power of data and insight into healthcare and also somewhat humbling, uh, as I look at it, the limitations of that. And it reminds me of the, the ability we have as a system and certainly our philosophy at Canary Health of marrying technology with a really deep focus on human-centered design and engaging people. So I just add that I, I come at it from a sort of, I, you know, this belief early in my career that kind of data and analysis could solve it all. and have realized, uh, not surprising, and, and I think most clinicians would have started there, that that's not going to be sufficient. And it takes a lot more to, to really engage people. That's a really great insight, Adam, and uh, appreciate you sharing that. I'm, I'm sure when you, when you realized that, it was just a huge aha moment. Yeah, I wish I could say it was like one moment. I, maybe I'm a little bit slow sometimes about it. It was, <laughs> it was over time, this sort of like, wait a minute, it, it, it should be easier. Like we, you know, I think healthcare, one of the deep problems and something we certainly work on is for a long time, it has been about kind of doing something to someone. And maybe now it's with someone, but if I could stretch yeah. the language, it's really about doing it for them and letting them lead it. And there's this sort of moment of humility that we all have to take to trust that someone knows what matters to them and they can lead that journey and they'll get a better outcome, better quality of life. And we as a system and a society will get healthier, happier people and use less healthcare. But it wasn't sort of like one day it turned on and off. It was a series of reminders, uh, none of which are more powerful than the chance we have to talk with our participants and the thousands of people we've interacted with. And remember that it's a part of their life. It's an emotional journey. It's not just, you know, I have a therapy, I have a disease or multiple. It's, it all fits into all the other aspects. And so I wish I could say uh, it was one single innovation and a light bulb <laughs> turned on, but, but unfortunately, it took me a little bit of time to come to it. No, it's great. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting to hear the journey. And a couple of things come to mind, Adam, that I'm curious about. One, what got you into the business of healthcare? And two, tell us a little bit more about the name Canary Health and why you named it that. I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, sure. So let me, let me start with the second question. Sure. Um, Canary Health is, is a loose allusion to, to the story of the canary in the coal mine. And for those listeners who don't know, it was common practice for years to bring a canary into a mine as one of the big risks in mining, 
was the release of methane gas, and that could become explosive. Mm. And one of these great innovations that didn't require digital technology, and we're talking in the 1800s, was that unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, a bird, and a canary in particular, is more sensitive to methane gas. So they served as this warning signal that something dangerous was happening. And so they'd actually have a bird in a cage, and you know, if the bird started getting sick and sometimes even died, that was a signal to get out of the mine wow. and prevent something catastrophic. Wow. And so for us, we really want to be at that moment before something becomes catastrophic. Uh, we think that, that there's a great opportunity to engage folks earlier in their disease paths, earlier in that trajectory, and prevent that progression, prevent that catastrophic event. So we don't lean on that story heavily, but, but as we thought about what we wanted to be and what we wanted to represent, it was this idea of preventing that, that catastrophic. So that's, uh, really that's cool. where the name comes from. Yeah. I love the analogy. It's powerful. It's uh, I never knew the full story. I always I know what the analogy means, but I didn't know that's exactly how the miners did it. So how fascinating. That's really cool. Yeah. And it, what was surprising to us is, I mean, we always knew it, but I think it, until the 80s, it was still common practice in wow. some mines. Cause, so, you know, again, it's maybe Amazing. a good story, sort of the limitations of digital technology. I mean, now there are gas meters and, and it's, right. it's sort of an automated thing, but, you know, for a century, there was a solution that didn't require sort of digital technology. So the way I came to healthcare, kind of two paths converged. So both of my parents are physicians, oh, nice. and both of them uh, had both seen patients, but also worked at sort of a system level. So kind of you know around the dinner table, it was not just stories about individual cases, but also why society works in a certain way. What have we done to make life healthier or less healthy? And so it was always something I was interested in. But kind of out of uh, school, so I was an engineer as an undergrad, went to work in the dot-com world, nothing to do with healthcare, kind of thinking about how you build internet businesses, and followed that for a number of years, but got uh, interested in statistics, as I was saying earlier, in sort of data, in economics as a field, and actually thought I'd be a professor. So I went back to grad school oh, really? to do my PhD, yeah, to do my PhD in economics, Started in what people in healthcare would call behavioral economics, so kind of applied game theory, so really kind yes. of mathematical theory and economics. And as yeah, happens to a lot of us, got much more applied, ended up doing in statistics, writing my dissertation around healthcare outcomes. And this is right around sort of early stages of Obamacare and just got smitten by being part of the transformation. So after uh, teaching for a couple of years, went to work for a media company thinking about how you take television assets and digital tools and print media even to build quality improvement programs. And so that was my early taste of kind of the ability to impact thousands of people with technology. Uh, and, you know, that led to what we're doing in Canary Hill. That is so cool. And uh, a really interesting journey that you've taken. So tell me a little bit more, Adam, about what you believe that every healthcare leader today needs to be focused on. What's that hot topic? I think there's there's probably three, if I could, and they're interrelated. Let's, talk, let's I, I dive have, in, man. Let's dive deep. That's what you do. <laughs> so again, the, the economist to me first would say, I think the move to value is, is critical. And it's not a single thing. We're in a, a process, especially in the U.S., of transforming, as I'm sure other guests I know have talked about, from sort of fee-for-service to payment for value. And that's underlying this sort of massive shift in the way healthcare is organized. And so any leader whether it's at the delivery side, the insurance side, the product side, needs to think about how healthcare is going to organize itself to deliver better value. And that really impacts what we ask clinicians to do, what's covered and paid for, and even importantly, how it's paid for. So, so I think that's one big piece. And Adam, just to, next, 
just to kind of uh, dive in for a second, you know, I feel like just looking across the healthcare provider system and the incentives that are given, it feels like a lot of of providers are still being very fee-for-service oriented. What are your thoughts on that? What's it going to take to actually make that shift? Yeah, I have great sensitivity to, to the challenge providers have where they've got multiple contracts, they want to practice medicine in one way, and it's not going to be sufficient if one insurance company that 10% of their patient population says, I'm going to pay you this way, right? It's right. going to have to be massive change. I think most people have looked at it, and I would agree, think that Medicare is going to have to play sort of the dominant force in change. And I think they have been. I think the ACOs have started doing it. I think the MIPS program, the alternative payment models, yeah. and you're even hearing CMS now, you know, a goal, and I can't remember if it's two to four years, you know, 60% of payments will be tied to, to sort of alternative and value-based payments. I think you'll see two pathways. I think you'll see the sort of historical or classic capitation show up and sort of, you know, just put all of the risk and, and opportunity onto the providers. And then CMS, I think, is being thoughtful about how you provide an alternative pathway. It's okay, there's sort of still fee for service, but we're going to layer a value component. We're going to expect you to start doing more. And I think those will converge. I think it's going to take a little bit longer than maybe we would have thought a couple of years ago. But the big systems are starting to see this transformation. And CMS, I think, has been at the forefront of it. And then the commercial payers, it seems like, and I, I don't sit directly in a service delivery organization or a payer, but as we talk to both sides, the ACO models and these alternative payments seem to be a very big part of what commercial payers are trying to do as well. Got it. No, appreciate the insight. You know, so you feel like the basis for, for these changes are there and it's in motion. It'll get there, but it's, 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 uh, it'll get there ultimately. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I should say I'm a California guy, Southern California guy by, by sort of training and healthcare experience. And so, you know, the future is already here in Southern California, right? Like most yeah. patients are capitated, Kaiser is head, yeah. system. So for it sure. feels like, you know, hey, for those listening, I grant I've got a certain lens on it, but it feels like as we talk now to folks outside of California, like it's beginning to move that way, distributed the same all over the country. But certainly I think that's a model that the federal government is seeing. I see Medicaid moving that way more. And so I, I think it'll get there. What it looks like in the interim is, is sort of what we're all trying to, to figure out. Got it. All right. And you said you had three, right? So what would be the other two? Shift to value. So shift to value, I think the move towards really leveraging data is a huge part of what's going on. And I think a lot of people have spoken about that. I'm certainly passionate as a consumer of healthcare involved in that. But I think the third one is really where we at Canary focus, which is now, interestingly, because we built these systems, because we're now compensating our providers for longitudinal interactions for outcomes, because we now have broader population data sets, I think we have a really unique opportunity to put the, the consumer back at the center of healthcare. So I really do think this move towards patient-centric or person-centric care, this idea that someone should control their journey, that an activated consumer deciding what matters to him or her, how that connects to their family, driving that journey is, is going to be the key element to tie the rest of it together. And ultimately, while we care about outcome, we care about cost, really what we should care about is are people getting what they want. And often it's very aligned. So there's very few people who want to be sicker and want to spend more money on healthcare, but they're not exactly the same. We have the good fortune to interact with thousands of consumers around self-management. And it's this interesting concept of what matters to you and how do we help you organize your life and your health to get what you want. 
And there's almost never anything inconsistent with the health, but it's not exactly the same, right? No one wakes up in the morning and says, look, I'm worried about my A1C level if they have diabetes. I'm worried about getting sick or I'm, the fear right. is causing impact it has on my relationships. And so if we can shift the system so that person's back at the center, I think we'll get what we want. And so for us, that's the third piece of that major trend. That's where we spend our time at Canary. Uh, and we think it needs to go hand in hand with those other two major elements to get the outcomes we want as individuals and as a society. Adam, that's interesting. Why don't you give the listeners an example of how Canary Health, you and your team have created results, improved outcomes through what you've done there? Yeah. So let me share at the, the very individual level, and then I can share some of the studies. So uh, sure. you, you said at the intro, and we're very fortunate to, to work with uh, incredible researchers out of Stanford University. Uh, the lead researcher there is a, is a woman who's dedicated her life to this concept of self-management named Kate Laurie. And there's a lot of magic in what they've built, but, but one of the things that strikes me is the way that they've constructed a process to help someone set a goal or an action plan. And it seems intuitive, but there's this balance of how do you make it sort of ambitious enough and out there enough that it's meaningful, but also close enough and understandable enough that it's achievable. And so there's this sort of elegant simplicity they have in how they help people do it. And what strikes me is when you look at this, uh, we'll often see action plans, and I'm reminded of a particular participant who had multiple chronic conditions from diabetes uh, to a very rare condition uh, for her inner ear called Meniere's. And when you asked her what mattered, the first thing was about getting back control of her life. And it wasn't a health issue. It was she just didn't feel like she had control. And so the first action plan she said was about how she could talk to herself. And there's nowhere in sort of classic healthcare that like the first thing you'd help someone with is, you know, how do you have a conversation with your spouse? But that's what was needed to unlock the, I'm going to get a hearing aid. I'm going to take better care of myself. And so it reminds me that we need to empower that person to set that first step. What we've seen now, if you, if you expand that, and again, this is very excitingly research that our colleagues from Stanford conducted with Anthem, was a thousand people with diabetes went into our digital version of, of Stanford's program, 300 in the study went to the in-person. So we really believe in offering choice. And what they're able to show is a year after the program, remarkable improvement in diabetes outcomes as measured by A1C, which is the sort of the main physiological measure for that. But what really led to it was incredible reductions in the rates of depression, better adherence to medication, and better sort of self-efficacy and confidence that someone could actually control what they're doing. And what yeah. was powerful is this sort of intensive short period of self-management support showed outcomes a year out. And Anthem and Stanford have published the clinical results of this study, so they've actually demonstrated that. It's been peer-reviewed. Uh, and very shortly, they'll be talking about the impact that that then had on healthcare utilization and cost. And so you, know, you start at this very human level, and it actually has been demonstrated to, at a significant population level, make clinical outcomes and cost and utilization outcomes much better. What a great example, Adam. And listeners, something to consider. Each and every one of you is an individual. And this idea of self-management, we all have our own canary. And so we got to figure out what that canary is. And like Adam was just saying, you know, this, this patient that just wanted to connect with their spouse. You know, what is your hot button that is going to be the domino that makes the rest of them fall for your health? And it seems like, Adam, you guys are, are doing it so well. What's the secret sauce? How do you guys get to that thing that makes everything else tick? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a constant sort of work, if you will, at, at remembering that the individual is what matters. Yeah. And, and I can tell numerous times we've sat with Kate Lorig, the researcher from Stanford, who's done this, just about language. And there's little things yeah. that not attuned to it sound like you're telling someone what to do and you're telling them what matters. And there's a very subtle distinction, but it goes to the words we use, to the way that the tools work themselves. We try very hard and probably haven't achieved it, but I'd say the secret, if I can reduce it to one thing, is we never tell someone what to do. We do a lot of work to build a framework where there's models of better behavior, they have patterns, they hear stories of others, but if that's not coming from you, then you're not going to achieve it. And then we do a lot of work to help support that goal. But I guess maybe that's the one thing is we don't know what's better for you than you. Now, we have ideas of things that it could be, and we have a ton of support once you picked it, but you've got to decide that. I think that's beautiful. And just even at the beginning, Adam, when you were kind of discussing the idea of, okay, we do healthcare to people or we do healthcare with people or do we do it for them and provide them the support? It's this uh, something that I noticed that you do. You're very sensitive to the word that you use and the meaning that you give what is happening. And so uh, really appreciate your thoughtfulness and in your approach. And I think this will be very insightful for the listeners and the viewers. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure to, sh- to share that insight and, that, and hopefully it, it, it is that for them. So Adam, what would you say a mistake or setback that you've experienced that has given you some huge pearls of wisdom into what you do? It's a good question. The, the road is never kind of, you know, if you, if you have the graph up, up and to the right, it's, right? it's, uh, it's always, it's always meandering. I think, and we still believe it, so I hate to say it's, it's sort of a given setback. I think we have accepted that to a large extent, healthcare still thinks about kind of these vertical silos by condition or disease state or physiological system. And so while we believe deeply in self-management and we have a solution that's actually out there for supporting self-management, regardless of what chronic condition you have, and it works, and we know that the market hasn't adopted sort of this horizontal idea of self-management as broadly as we'd like. And so what we've been working on over the last months and and year, really, and and what we'll be doing for is how do we take our self-management platform and insight and services and embed it much more deeply into diabetes services or other conditions and not tilted windmills, to use another uh, old expression, if you will, fighting healthcare to, to see new kind of people independent of disease state, but to help in that framing, uh, help them get more basic in what matters to people. So I, I'd say that's been a little bit of a challenge in sort of the, the go-to-market strategy and the way we've encountered healthcare still oriented around, look, you have diabetes, you have heart disease, you have cancer, as opposed to, you probably have a bunch of those things, and at the center of it, you're a person. So we're in no way abandoning that, but trying to think about how do we package our services in the way that healthcare still thinks about that. That's pretty cool. And, you know, one of the things, uh, so for the entrepreneurs listening to this, uh, you know, something to consider, you know, when you when you build your product or service, how do you position it? You know, and Adam's been very thoughtful about that. Adam, your, your particular solution, who pays for it? It is uh, designed to go to the payer. So often that's the insurance company, sometimes it's a self-insured employer. Growing, but to a lesser extent today, it's the at-risk providers. But we really are focused on those folks who, who essentially have the, the insurance risk. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's funny, not funny, but interesting, because there's a lot of great ideas out there. 
And oftentimes what happens is they, they run into problems because they don't get strategically positioned on who's going to pay for it. And then the ideas die. And so I'm so glad that you've done such a great job of positioning it in a way that's, that's you know, been successful. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the hard things and for the entrepreneurs out there, budgeting in healthcare is not a transparent process. I, I, I used to work, as I said, in the, in the internet world, kind of thinking about new models. And the challenges there were much more technological. Like, could you deliver a new technology that was a material improvement to whatever the process was? And it was always hard to sell. I don't mean to minimize that at all. But if you could demonstrate that there were clear paths to budget. Healthcare, because there's so many competing priorities, because it's partly driven by regulation, it's partly driven by, you know, a myriad of priorities. It has an academic feel in some sense. Government's heavily involved. Nonprofits are heavily involved. There's not this sort of monolithic single buyer. So it's always very tricky to figure out how budgets are allocated, who's going to spend. And then, you know, what we've discovered is, okay, you kind of feel like you figure it out for one set, but that doesn't translate necessarily to another, that's so the other kind set. of buyer yeah. in another part of the country. And so I, I wish there was a, an easier <laughs> path. We've spent a lot of time being thoughtful about how we go to market, who we partner with, what our channel strategy is, and then, you know, a fair amount of trial and error and, and some degree of luck and, and obviously a lot of hard work that we've gone out. No, really cool. Thanks for sharing that. And what would you say one of the proudest moments that you guys have experienced to date here with Canary Health? I think probably it's a moment we have every week. So, you know, I can't reduce really? it to one, but every nice. in our in our company, All Hands, we share a story of at least one participant. Love it. And it's incredible to see, you know, and I, I give you good fortune, I see it more. Some of our team is interacting with, with participants all the time. But we have a, a good part of our team that's building the services, that's, you know, in the IT back end, that's, you know, doing support, that's helping ship product. And, and so that moment where I get a chance to see the team and, and we all see the impact we're making. And to be able to do that for tens of thousands of people is incredibly powerful. And that moment every week, and often those stories, we're fortunate to capture them on video so you get to see the person. Sometimes they're just read. Uh, but to cool. know that you know, we've helped that one person and see that story, each one's unique, but know that, that you know, it's multiplied by tens of thousands. That's beautiful, man. My wife is in the pacemaker business and she's a clinical specialist and she comes home and she tells me these stories about a little old lady or a little old man that rehashed some memories, but you know, was having pain and she just comes back lit up and these little things that you could do that make such a big difference. And it sounds like you guys are doing it daily. And I love what you've done, Adam. Kudos to your leadership style and, and kind of leading your team over there of making it a point to bring up the reason why you guys are doing this on a weekly share. And for the leaders listening to this, what are you doing to build your culture within your organization? Adam's given us a really great example, right? Share patient stories. But what are you doing? What can you do? So time flies when you're having fun, Adam. This has been a blast. So here's the part of the, the podcast where we build a syllabus for the listeners. It's the 101 of Adam Kaufman, how to be amazing at healthcare. And so I've got four questions for you, lightning round style. We'll go through those and then we'll finish it up with a book that you recommend for the listeners. You ready? All right, let's do it. Awesome. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Put the person back at the center. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Feeling like you got the right answer the first time. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Be agile. And finally, what is the one area of focus that should drive everything else in your company? I hope you can edit out the silence. These are, these are good <laughs> questions. I know, it's going to be lightning. 
<laughs> I think that the one area of focus should always be, are you improving the consumer, the set of them, whatever, life in a way that matters to them. Love it. And Adam, finally, what book would you recommend to our listeners on this syllabus? I'd have to pick uh, what's the, the book called The Innovator's Prescription. It's from Clay Christensen and his team. So really the guru of innovation and how that model applied to healthcare and some really good insights at a macro level and some of them at, at a, a sort of an individual company or service level. Awesome. That's really interesting. Listeners, don't worry about writing any of this down. This syllabus, our show notes, everything's available below. And it's also available on outcomesrocket.com slash Adam K. That's Adam K for Kaufman. You'll be able to find all of these. So just go over there and check it out. Adam, before we conclude, I just would love for you to share a closing thought with the listeners and also the best place that they could get a hold of you. Sure. So I uh, would love to, to talk with any of you. The easiest way is just by email. So it's A Kaufman, A K A U S, as in Frank, M A N, at canaryhealth.com. Or if you go to our website and contact us, often those come directly to me or someone on the team can process it. So please feel free uh, to do that uh, and look forward to hearing from you. I think the last thought I'd share is, and especially for, for leaders who have been outside of healthcare, uh, like I was and come into healthcare, remember it's a journey. And it's a journey for the individual because health is an intimate and integral part of their life. And so it's not a, a single thing. It's not a single transaction. It's not a single product. We're talking about how this character and the story of their life called health impacts them. And so we want to walk that journey with them. We want to walk that journey with them times thousands of people. And your own healthcare story, whether it's the product, the company, the service, is going to be a journey because certainly nothing's ever a straight line, but healthcare right. is far from it. Regulation is going to change, a market will change. So keeping that sort of North Star of making people's lives better and then working towards it is, is really the best advice I can give. And, and you'll have major ups and, and, and hopefully not too, too many downs, but they'll come. And that's true for people. And so, you know, the last I'd say is behavior change in general is not just the up, but it's how you help people recognize that, you know, they're going to slip up. It won't be always what they want. And that's true at an individual level, at a product or service and at a company. Awesome. Adam, what great words of wisdom. Listeners, enjoy these. Take them into consideration in your day-to-day -day and in your overall strategy because I think there are some really insightful tips. Adam, again, I just want to say thank you on behalf of me and all the listeners and uh, looking forward to maybe having you on again. Great. Well, really appreciate it, Saul. Thank you. It was, a, it was a fun conversation, and I really do appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you and, and to have the listeners uh, hear whatever, whatever wisdom they, they can take away from it. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.